In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, so we've had uh, a few hours together now, and some fun, and some uh, discussion, and some prayer at the beginning. Uh, now I'm just going to talk to you for a few minutes um, about what it means for you at this time in your life to be called to be a student, because um, it's kind of a unique time in life, and you've been a student, some of you, since you were five years old, <laughs> and uh, Maybe you already know what it means to be a student, or maybe you've never really thought about the fact that being a student right here and right now has a meaning. It's not just a thing you do until you get to some goal, but in some ways it's, it's a calling in itself. Um, who here has ever played the game Candyland? Anybody never play Candyland? Okay. Who of those who have played Candyland thinks they're the best at it? think you're really good at Candyland. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Because you're grown, you know that it's total luck. But remember when you played Candyland as a kid? You thought, like, it was really exciting, and you were trying to win. And... But the way the game Candyland works is that it's just a bunch of square-colored tiles leading through the gumdrop forest and the gingerbread jungle and all this place up to, up to the top where whoever gets there first wins. And you just pick, you shuffle a deck of cards at the very beginning, and then you put them face down, and then you just draw the top card. And whatever color that is, if it's blue, you go to the next blue square. And then the next person, if it's green, they go to the next green square. If it's a double green, you go two green squares forward, right? Every once in a while, you land on a place that'll take you on a shortcut. Every once in a while, you land on a place that takes you back a whole, like, curve. And so it's this game, and it takes a while to play it, but if you think about it, once those cards are shuffled and they're put face down, the winner's already been decided. You just don't know who it is yet. You've got to play the game on the little board with the little figures and, until you get there to find out who won. So once you realize that, it's not that fun of a game because there's no way to be good at it. There's no, there's no uh, chance in the middle that something could change and someone else could come ahead and end up being a winner. It's all been decided at the very beginning. So the point of Candyland is not to be good at Candyland. The point of Candyland, usually for little kids, is to learn basic skills, like taking turns, learning your colors, uh, reading things, you know, not getting frustrated and throwing the board up when you lose. You know, like little skills that kids learn as a byproduct of playing this game. They think it's about one thing, but they're actually learning something else. A lot of school is like that, if you think about it. How often did you hear growing up, when am I ever going to use algebra or something? When am I ever going to need to prove that something's an equilateral triangle? Or, you know, when am I going to need to know about the French Revolution or who Napoleon was or something like that? I'm never going to use that. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor. I want to be an engineer whatever. I'm never going to need to use that. I'm never going to need to know that. So what's the point? Well, really, it's true. There is no point. It's not useful to know those things or to be able to do those things. But why do you have an eighth grader learn how to solve for X? Because maybe someday they're going to need to do that when they are figuring out, you know, whether this side of the triangle is the hypotenuse. of the, Are they, they going to really use that in their job? Probably not. But will they need to learn how to solve problems? Yeah. Will they need to learn how to 
persevere when something's frustrated and that I don't get it right away all the time, right? To be overwhelmed and learn how to do things on time even though there's a lot coming at them. Yes, like those are all things you learned in school, but it's a byproduct. You think it's about getting really good grades in algebra or really good grades in biology, but it's really about all these other things that you're learning, right? It's formation of your character. Of course, it's also important to know these things, especially if you do end up using them. It's important to know biology if you're going to be a doctor. It's important to know algebra if you're going to be an accountant, right? But a nurse should still know something about economics, A priest should know something about biochemistry, right? Maybe that sounds ridiculous, but I think that it's true. Do you know who Francis Bacon is? Have you ever heard of that name, Francis Bacon? Do you know what his famous uh, aphorism or mantra was, what he said that we still say today? Knowledge is power. Have you ever heard that? Knowledge is power. What did he mean by that? Anybody have any idea? What was Francis Bacon? He's kind of a philosopher, but a, a proponent of science, right? It was the modern turn when, you know, we'd been working without electricity, without basic, like, modern necessities and what we consider necessities now. And the modern age, the industrial age, the scientific age, was giving us all sorts of power over nature. We could, you know build things that were, you know, very, very high up because we invented all these things that, you know, architecture and and technology and um, we could live in comfortable lives. You could be inside and have a bathroom. You didn't have to go use an outhouse, you know, like all heating and air conditioning and all this. He didn't have that stuff, but he saw it coming. He thought that knowledge, as human beings get more and more knowledge, they're going to have more and more power. So the point of education why education is so important is because the more knowledge we have, the more power we have to, to live comfortable lives, to have a lot of money, right? to live a really long time, to cure diseases and stuff. The more knowledge you have, the more power you have. That can be a selfish thing. Like if I get a really good education, I can get a really good job and make a lot of money and get the biggest house I want and the exact car I want and get the phone I want and stuff. That way, knowledge really is power. It's wealth. It's honor. It's all these things that I want can be selfish. It can also be altruistic or selfless. I want to help people, so I need to go to school to be a nurse or a doctor or a social worker. If I don't have this knowledge, I won't be able to help people. I won't have the power to do that. But while it may be true that knowledge partways is power, that's that's not the primary reason you're in school. Most people think of college as one of two things. One is like an investment. Why would you spend these four years or five years or six years, however long it takes you, why would you invest this time where you could be out working and being productive? Why would you spend this money, right, on something? Why would you spend money to take a class in whatever you're taking classes in this semester? Unless you thought it was worth it on the back end that, Later on, I'm going to be able to make more money than it cost me to pay for the education, right? It's like any good investment, you think, I'll pay a little bit now, but make a lot later, right? Or it's like learning a trade, like career training. I want to be a pharmacist. I want to be an engineer. 
I want to be a historian or a teacher or something like that. So I need to learn how to do that. That's why I'm getting an education, because I want to be a teacher, and you have to go to school to be a teacher. Those two reasons are a lot why people decide to go to school, because basically knowledge is power. It's the way I can get more money, or it's the way I can be the thing that I want to be or do the thing that I want to do. But my whole point of this is that knowledge is not just power. It's character. Knowledge creates the kind of person you are. Right? So how you are a student will be decided on what you think your education is for. Whether or not you're constantly asking the question, what am I ever going to use this for? Why is UIC making me take a class in jazz studies when I want to be a computer engineer? Right? Or whatever elective you have to do to fulfill the Western civilization or non-Western civilization requirement, right? Because UIC has this idea that they want you not just to be a computer engineer, but to be an educated person, to have the character of somebody who's been formed in something other than just a trade, right? Knowledge creates character. And so college is a lot like Candyland. You might lose the point of it by thinking that it's all about getting a degree or getting a job. In other words, you can leave after four years of college, and I know many people have done this, with a degree but no education. Do you know what I mean? You can get through four years here, and they can feed you all they want in terms of knowledge and make you take all these different classes, but you can refuse to be educated. You can do everything you need to do, tick all the boxes on your curriculum vitae to get the degree, but not really be an educated person. Does that make sense? So to be a student is a calling in itself. To get an education is a calling in itself. Think about the fact that there are a lot of people in the world right now who are displaced from their homes, who suffer violence, right? oppression, starvation and hunger, terrorism. And yet here we are in this nice environment in college, sitting around taking classes and reading books. That's not to make you feel guilty. It's just to show you the fact that even in the midst of all this need, that the world still thinks it's good for you to learn something, to get an education. And not just the world, but your family, this society, and God himself has called you here. God wants you to get an education. What is an education? Do you know what that word comes from, education? Anybody know any Latin? Ever taken a Latin class, anyone? See, that's part of your education. You've got to know Latin. <laughs> Almost all the words in English, and especially Spanish, are derived from Latin roots. So education comes from two Latin words, a or ex, which is, e is short for ex, which means out of, and ducare. Educare means to lead out, lead out of. To lead out of. What are you leading? What are you being led out of? In education, you're being led out of darkness into the light of knowledge. Led out of the darkness of ignorance into the light of knowledge. Anyone heard of Socrates? Yeah. Socrates. <laughs> okay. Socrates believed in education. In other words, that someone could just be led by the hand. By what's the Socratic method? What was Socrates' method of educating people? 
Did he do what I'm doing right now, like sit you all down in seats and I stand up here and tell you things? He would ask people questions and get them to think for themselves. And there's one famous Socratic dialogue where he takes um, this slave boy, now I'm forgetting his name, slave boy who couldn't even read or write, and he gets him to prove the Pythagorean theorem simply by asking him questions. And the point of that is that this is already in him. He just needs to be led out of the darkness of ignorance by simple question and inquiry. And he himself, because he's a human being, has the gift of reason, can be led out into knowledge, into education. Anybody know how to say student in Latin? Royce, you speak like 14 languages, don't you? Do you know that? <laughs> what is it? Estudente, no, it's, well, stu, it's hard because student is actually a, a Latin word too, but it doesn't mean student in English. How you'd say students, if I were a Latin teacher and I wanted to say, hello students, I would say, salvete discipuli, disciples, discipulus is a student, or discipula for a female student. A student is a disciple. So we get two words in English from that Latin word discipulus. Disciple, what's another one? Discipline, right? Both of those things mean you're being, a, you're, being, you're being taught something because you're a disciple, because you're being disciplined, or you are disciplining yourself. Even in, even in college, you, you say, you've heard of interdisciplinary? That's when two fields of study are crossing, like business and science, for instance, or art and science. You'd have an interdisciplinary class where an art expert is talking with a science expert or a business expert, and they're, they're teaching you something from their two disciplines, their two areas of study. So being a disciple of Jesus and being a disciple in college is not all that different. In fact, the two things are interdisciplinary. Learning how to be a good nurse or a good engineer or a good pharmacist or good whatever is totally compatible and part and parcel of being a good disciple of Jesus. Right? I'm not doing that, something over there and something totally different here. The two things are connected. You have a unity of life. You're, a, you're being disciplined in different ways. Now, what is student, Stephanie? What does student mean in Latin? It comes from the verb studere, which literally means to be eager or to strive like a student of art or a student of Latin or a student of whatever is someone who's eager and is striving to be good at something or to learn something. How many fellow students of yours do you feel fit that description? That they're just eager and striving, like they show up to their 8 a.m. class in the morning and they're just like, I am so pumped to learn. What a gift. I have four years just to learn, just to soak in knowledge, just to be let out of the darkness of my own ignorance into the light of all knowledge. What a beautiful thing. I'm so happy to be here. What a great morning. Do you feel like that every time you go to class? That's you, right? <laughs> no. So what is the calling to be a student? It's, it's the discipline and the eagerness of being led out of darkness into light. So what disciplines do you need to be a good student? There are four different kinds. There is spiritual discipline, there's moral discipline, there's emotional or relational discipline, and then finally there's intellectual discipline. Most people think all you need is the last one. 
I'm in college, I'm a student, all I need to do is go to class, get good grades, get smart. That's what college people do. But if you don't have the other three kinds of discipline, that fourth one of intellectual discipline, is not, you're not going to, if you're not morally disciplined, if you're not spiritually disciplined, you can't build a house just on one pillar. You have to have all four walls to put a roof on it. So what does it mean to be spiritually disciplined? Now, the fact that you guys are here, I'm preaching to the choir, the fact that you're at a retreat in your second week of school tells me that you want to be at least spiritually disciplined. Like it's worth investing this time in my soul because college is not just about getting a good education and having four years of fun or whatever else. I'm growing. I'm being educated, and this is part of it. So going to Mass... That's the most important class you'll go to all week. You think about it like that? You wouldn't skip your most important class. Right? You wouldn't skip Mass because that's where you learn who you really are, who God really is, and what he's, get, what he's willing to give to save you, to lead you out of darkness. In every Mass... It's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross represented, his blood and body broken and poured out again for us to receive. It's his word opened up. And we're going to have Mass here in a, a few minutes, but what a gift, what an education to kneel at the foot of the Master as his disciples, as his students, and to hear how he wants us to live and to respond and try to be eager and strive to live that. Learning to pray. I remember when I was in college, it was the first time that I ever learned really how to pray. I literally taught myself how to pray the rosary in college. I didn't teach myself, but there was a group every night at 10 p.m. at Newman who would meet in front of the chapel and then go walking around campus praying the rosary. I'd, I'd, I remember making a rosary once in like Sunday school, but I don't think we ever prayed it. At least I never learned how to do it. I couldn't do it on my own. I looked at the thing, I'm like, I know there's like 50 prayers or whatever you have to know, and one of them is super long, and I never memorized it, so I just never tried it. But I started praying with other people, started praying the rosary, and then I'd hear them say, like, Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, there's some other prayer. And I remember sitting in the cafeteria in college with a little cheat sheet that I'd stolen from the back of church that had the Hail, Holy Queen, and all the prayers of the rosary, and I'm just like memorizing it paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence. That was part of my, I guess whatever God was doing in my own heart, calling me, I realized that this is part of my education too. This is something I missed. I should have learned this when I was seven years old. I need to catch up. But also prayer in the sense of being alone with Jesus. Being alone with God. It was the first time that I made the goal I was in college to sit in a pew in front of the tabernacle, in front of Jesus in the Eucharist, and just be with him. Meditate. I had no idea what I was doing. But you just sit there and you listen to God. Ask him a question. See if he says an answer. See if you can hear it in your heart. That's the most, if mass is the most important class you'll, you'll go to all week, prayer is the most important skill you'll learn in your two or four or six years of college. Right? Prayer. So spiritual discipline. You need moral discipline. Depending on the friends you hang out with or depending on the crowd that you run with, this can be harder or easier. But a lot of times at this age is when you start like, exploring, um, letting go. You have this independence. You have this uh, freedom from your parents and their strict rules and whatever. 
uh, you had to live by or abide by when you were in the house. And now there's all sorts of things that you can do, and as long as you don't get caught, then you're, you know, you're fine. Drinking, drugs, sex, whatever. Um, can I just do these things and still be a good disciple, still be a good student? Can I do things that my conscience tells me is wrong as long as I don't get caught? No. Again, it's unity of life. You're the same person you are in class as you are in here, as you are with your friends. And so these disciplines, these moral disciplines, are just as important, if not more important, than the discipline of getting all your work done in class on time, showing up on time to class, getting assignments done on time. There's this thing called the art of living, if you've ever heard of that. The art of living. That it's possible to be bad at life. (laughs) Right? It's possible to be good at life, but just like I can be bad at piano because I've never practiced or I've never done anything but play chopsticks. I'm like, I can play chopsticks. I'm pretty good at piano. Like, I know how to do this. And you, then you watch somebody who can play like entire sonatas of Mozart by memory and perfectly like dynamics and, and the pedals and everything. They've practiced hard, which means that they've done things that weren't comfortable for them. They've sat down and invested time even when they didn't feel like it and disciplined themselves to learn how to be good at piano. There's a lot of people that say like, oh, I can do a few things well. Um, I'm good at life or like I'm having a great time. But no, they haven't ever disciplined themselves and like done something that they didn't want to do or denied themselves the pleasure of doing something they really did want to do. Right? How many people have ever like stayed up till three in the morning watching Netflix and then slept in till noon the next day? <laughs> did you feel like, man, I'm killing it at life right now the next day? <laughs> Probably not. And depending on your temptations or your weaknesses or your vulnerabilities, it may be different things. But you know when you're living life the right way. You know when you're doing a good job, when you're practicing what you preach, what you think the good life looks like. And it's not automatic. It takes discipline. It takes habit formation. If you want to lose weight, it's not buy a gym membership and then that's, that's it. You have to go three times a week or four times a week and actually put in the time to do it. So if you want to be a disciplined person, someone living in the light, you have to do things that are difficult. Emotional and relational discipline, what does that look like? I was telling people in our discussion group just before this that when I was in college, it was the, kind of the first time that I ever really learned how to be a friend to a person or, or how, to, how to pick your friends wisely before, when I was in high school, basically all my friends were people who had common interests, like either played sports that I liked to play or music or whatever. That's who I hung out with. And they were good guys or gals, um, but I noticed that once I graduated high school, we didn't keep up because they went and found people at their colleges who had common interests, and, you know, now you have different friends. Right? There was nothing that bonded us together permanently or in any sort of essential way. But when I got to college was the first time I really started trying to live my faith a little bit more and I got around other people that were trying to do the same thing. And then all of a sudden we were encouraging each other and we were sharing with each other struggles and triumphs, pushing each other to be better. I was pushing him to be better and he was pushing me to be better. And then all of a sudden like we forged this bond that was not as so easily breakable as like, oh, I stopped playing music or that's not as important to me as it was before. Now I'm really into biochem or whatever I was working on at the time. So my 
music friends, and I'm not hanging out with them because I don't have time. But these friends, like, no matter what I was doing, we were pushing each other to be the best at it, to do a good job, to, to be disciplined, and to actually have integrity. I remember, actually, I went to a focus conference, like SEEK, or SLS, if you went, last year. And these sort of things where you're around a bunch of other college kids, and you hear, like, Father Mike Schmitz, or, who, like, these awesome speakers, and they just pump you up, and you're like, yeah, I can do this. Like, I'm not alone. There's other people who want to be good Catholics, too, who want to be good disciples. I made a really good confession. I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to, I'm going to live it now. I'm going to stop doing the things that I know are drawing me away from Christ, and I'm going to be totally his, right? I'm going to be a, a student of Christ, a student of whatever I'm studying. I'm going, to, I'm going to actually live my calling. But then a week later, what happens? Uh, I stayed up too late, and I kind of feel like sleeping through class. And all of a sudden, I'm not living the way that I know I should be. I'm, I've totally lost all that juice from being inspired. And I'm basically the old Connor. I'm the old guy that I was before. I've lost that verve and that fire. So me and two friends actually noticed this. My friend Pete and my friend Jeremy. And we, we, called, we formed what we called the triumvirate, which is Latin for three men. So we, there was this proverb Proverbs 27, 17, I think, that says, As iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens his fellow man. So what we decided was that we'd set goals for ourselves. At, at first, it was like three or four goals. My goals were easy. It was like, call my mom every week, go to every single class, and pray 10 minutes a day or something like that. Something simple. But things that I tended not to do or tended like, just to ignore if I, if I didn't feel accountable to anyone but myself. No one's going to notice if I skip a physics class. It's a lecture hall full of 500 people. Who's going to notice I'm gone? God never, like, knocks on my door if I haven't done my 10 minutes of prayer at the end of the day. He's like, uh, hello? Right? He's pretty chill, so I can just go to sleep, and I'll be like, oh, tomorrow I'll get you, God. My mom, she would get a little bit more upset if I didn't call her every week, but it's like, I could easily ignore these duties. But I told my friends, like, I put myself out there, and I was like, these are things I want to do because I know that I should and the things that I tend to ignore. And Jeremy and Pete did the same thing. And then we'd meet once a week. And we'd keep track, literally, in an Excel spreadsheet, like, did it that day, did it that day. And one of them was trying to work out, and it's like, get to the end of the week, he's like, I wanted to work out three times, I only worked out once. I got a 30%, I failed. And then we agreed that if all of us got 100%, then we'd all go to Steak and Shake. <laughs> That was our goal. And we only went, how many times do you think we went to Steak and Shake? Twice. In a whole year. We all got 100%. But I think twice about like, oh, I'm just going to go to bed or I'm going to keep, you know, going on Facebook or the internet or whatever, like at 11 o'clock at night when I hadn't done my 10 minutes. How hard is it to pray 10 minutes a day? Not that hard. But you go through a whole day, even though you had all, all sorts of time and you wasted it, you get to the end of the day, it's so easy to just say, just kick the can down the road. But if I knew that at the end of the week, I was going to have to try to make an excuse for that garbage to two buddies of mine who I promised that we could go to Steak and Shake if I actually manned up and did it, that's a lot harder. But that's emotional maturity. That's emotional discipline. It's, it's relational discipline because my friendship is not just about, and how often does friendship go the other way? Oh, dude, I... I'm trying, to pray, I'm trying to pray 10 minutes a day because it's Lent. Dude, whatever, man. You can do that tomorrow. Let's go out. Is that a real friend? Right? That's a friend that's doing the opposite of what the kind of friend I'm talking about. It's a, it's a friend that's making you a worse person. 
are drawing you further away from your identity of, of your call. You want to find friends and be a friend who does the opposite, who pushes and is pushed to greater heights. And finally, intellectual discipline. Obviously, this is the most uh, important or, or urgent one for you right now as a student, to be intellectually disciplined. Again, think of Candyland. Is, it, is your jazz studies class, is that really like essential to who you are going to be as a person, that you know the history of jazz? Not necessarily, right? But the ability to think broadly and to be well-rounded and to be well-read, like the fact that somebody's putting some literature in front of you and saying, read this by the end of the week and give me a paperback, like a, a one-page paper or a two-page paper, that's an exercise in itself. You're learning all sorts of other skills because of that exercise. It's not just about learning jazz history or, or whatever. You're learning how to think. You're learning how to produce your own kind of thought and communicate it persuasively to write and to talk in ways that make sense. You know, learn to argue a perspective that's not full of fallacies. Right? Does anybody know what a fallacy is? Right? It's a bad argument. It's an argument like based on, well, this is true because so-and-so said so. That's an argument from authority. It's a fallacy. Well, you're wrong because you're bad. Right? That's an ad hominem fallacy. There's all sorts of these bad kind of arguments that we see all the time in the culture and the wider debates about things. We need people who are intellectually disciplined who can actually think critically. That's one of the things, the most important thing you're learning intellectually in college. You're also learning how to learn. Does it come automatically that you just know how to learn something? That you, do, have you ever heard of the term study skills? Did you ever have to learn study skills? Like somebody says to you, memorize all these dates or be able to write um, like a synopsis of this book in one page. How do you do that? You have to break it down into pieces. You have to learn how to learn. You have to learn how to break apart information in your head and store it and then reproduce it. That's not an automatic skill. How to, you ever heard of the book, How to Read a Book? It's the most ironic book title ever, right? How do you read this book if you don't know already how to read a book? There's Mortimer J. Adler, who was at University of Chicago years and years ago, who started the Great Books Program. How do you read a book? Well, he talks about it like, you don't just dive into the first page and just start reading, preface, and then just start reading. Like, if you really want like, to consume this book and like, get its information in you so that you can actually communicate it to someone else, read the table of contents first. Right? So you know like, what this book is about. And then read like the first paragraph of every chapter and the first page of every chapter. And then, then you get a bigger picture and then you can dive into the book. But that's not automatic, right? Learning how to learn is one of the most important things you'll do here. Getting good mentors. Like finding professors here at UIC who you trust are teaching you the truth. Because does every professor over here on campus believe what we believe about the truth of God and the universe and humanity? No, right? There's a lot of people who have different beliefs. And your belief is not... Obviously, you can talk to people who have different beliefs. You can learn from people who have different beliefs. But your, does your belief affect what you know or what you think you know? Absolutely, right? And you need to, you need to be able to confront people and argue with people that have a different perspective than you about things like that. But you also need to find people who are smarter than you, who know more than you, but you trust 
are on the same side as you, right? who are also trying to push you to, to get out of the darkness of ignorance and into the light. Because who is the light? What does it really mean to live in the light? To be educated is to be a Christian, to be a disciple. So go to office hours of your favorite professors, right? not because you have question or you want a better grade on something you want to argue, but because you just want to sit at the foot of a master and learn from them. Nobody's going to make you get an education. UIC is going to try by making you take classes in all these different categories, and if you're going to you know, get a degree in what you're going to get a degree in, you have to take all these prerequisites and all these 400-level classes, all these 300-level classes. But you can do the bare minimum all the time, asking, like, do I really need to take this? I guess I'll just tick this box. Or you can be eager. You can be a student. Even when the curriculum doesn't have what I need, it doesn't, doesn't make me do something, I'm going to read it anyway. Like how I almost got through college without having to read an, one entire work of fiction because I had taken AP classes, I passed out of English Lit and all this stuff. So I was just taking biochemistry classes. I basically took math and science for three and a half years. And I got to my last semester, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I even didn't have to take a foreign language because I had taken five years of it or whatever since junior high. I just passed out. So I decided I'm going to take an English lit class, a Latin class, and a philosophy class because I had all this space left over my last semester. Not because I had to. They, they, did not, they helped me stay a full-time student, which helped. But, uh, I, I wanted to get an education. And in addition to that, I met with this priest at the Newman Center. And I was like, teach me philosophy. I want, I'm interested in this. I took this philosophy class. What should I be reading? And he gave me books to read in addition to what I was reading for classes. And we'd talk, me and like three other guys, we'd talk and, and learn about this stuff. Other ways you can get educated? Memorize a poem. Who, ever, who here has ever memorized a poem? Good, more than I thought. Did you like doing it? Was it something, yeah? Did they make you do it in school? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> like Shakespeare wrote, I don't know how many sonnets, but way, way more sonnets than you think he wrote. And they're all beautiful, right? And they're some of the treasures of Western literature and Western civilization. Have you ever even read one? Good. You're, Bianca, you have? But these, like, just to memorize a poem, I once heard uh, a person say Memorizing something is like putting up a stained glass window in your brain, right? It's like the light is still coming in. You're like looking at the world, but now instead of just having blank windows that you're looking through, you're looking through these things that you've put in your mind and you've stored there as a way of like looking out at the world. So I remember one time uh, a priest, we were walking around the lake up at Mundelein in the seminary, and it was fall, or it was springtime, and the leaves were just starting to bud and, and things were starting to come back to life after a long winter. He goes, ah, nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold. And he started reciting this whole poem. It was Robert Frost. Right? But he was looking at nature and this like art came out of him because he was an educated, well-rounded person. And beauty just spewed forth from him. Right? What kind of things are we memorizing? Rap songs? All the Pokemon, right? Those are the things that most people, like teenagers or kids, are, are memorizing. And, it's, and that, those are the stained glass windows of their mind. You're in college. Memorize and, and, and consume and, and make part of you the beautiful things, the good things, the true things. 
So this is what it means to be a student, to be a disciple, is to be disciplined, to be eager, to not do the bare minimum, but to take this opportunity that God is giving you and that God's calling you to be led out of darkness into light. And this is the last thing. You're free. We are all free. I'm sure that all of you in different ways have a lot of pressure on you. You might have to be working two jobs and going to school and be a mom, right? You might have, like, uh, all these anxieties about, like, what am, how am I going to get all this stuff done? What am I supposed to do with my life, right? Big questions in addition to little questions, like, how am I going to get the, this semester over with? But what am I going to do after this semester is over or after these four years are over? Right? There's all sorts of pressures, and you might feel, like, ah, hemmed in. Like, I'm just trapped here. Or maybe if you don't right now, you might. Might later this week or later this semester or later this year. But always remember that you are free. The difference between... A, 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 the freedom is not the difference between somebody who's in prison and somebody who's not in prison. The difference between... Uh, the freedom is the difference between any person and anything else, like an animal or that bench or whatever. Like, you are free because you're a person, because you're a human being made in God's image. You might be locked up like St. Maximilian Kolbe in a starvation bunker because you're a Catholic priest and you're being persecuted by the Nazis. But even though Maximilian Kolbe is being starved and in a bunker and behind bars, he's still free. And if you don't know the story of Maximilian Kolbe, he, was, he chose to sacrifice his own life for somebody else because the Nazis were punishing people for a jailbreak in a concentration camp. And he says, I will go instead of him because he has a family and I'm a priest. He chose to be there. And the Nazis killed him. But even up till the end, when they were starving him in the bunker, he was singing hymns and encouraging the people around him, the other nine or whatever men who were killed uh, in that execution. Because he was free, even though he was behind bars, even though all this pressure was on him, he was still free. All of us are like that. You are in every moment called to be free. And so you can engage your education as much as you want. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I was counting down the minutes till that year was over. Finally, I'll be done with high school. I'll go on to college. I'll be free. But it occurred to me one time, sitting in math class, a BC calculus class, I was looking at the clock, and I'm just like, when is this class going to be over? And it just occurred to me, you're 17 years old and you're waiting for your life to end one minute at a time. Well, why? Like, what, it, what are you waiting for? What are you saving yourself for? Be free. It might not look like pay attention to the professor and like take down every single note. It might be that. It might be that I'm called to more than I'm living right now. But it, it, it might just be that... like you recognize the fact that you sitting here right now is your choice. And you can make this moment whatever you want to make it. You can make these four years or these two years, this time in college, whatever you choose to make it. No one's forcing you to be here. Matter of fact, God's inviting you to be here. And what are you going to do with this time? God has given you this time to grow. That's what a student is. You're growing. You're looking forward to something, I'm sure. And sometimes you might be waiting for this semester to be over or waiting for this class to be over. But engage the moment. Live in the now of what God is calling you to do. Make time for prayer. 
Right, right now, right after I'm done talking in just a few seconds, we're going to have time to pray in front of Jesus in the Eucharist, just quietly. And have time to go to confession. Father Tim will be here as well as I, as well as I am to hear your confession. Maybe start this year with a clean slate. And then make a habit of going to confession. Not just when you feel like you need it, but like on a habitual, regular, periodic basis to do that check-in with God, to make sure that that spiritual discipline is feeding that intellectual, that moral, and that relational discipline. So sit here in prayer in, in front of Jesus and ask him, what, how are you calling me to be a student, your student, your disciple? What are you calling me to leave behind, to let go of? What disciplines or what virtues are you calling me to take up? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.